Well, if you have a Bible, why don't you flip to Acts chapter 10? Uh, every time I teach healing school, I always like to start in Acts chapter 10. Uh, I have kids. I have a, a six-year-old or a five-year-old son. Uh, and when you, know, when you have kids, you find that they ask a lot of questions, and you can't give these really, really long-winded answers to the questions that they have. And so for me, I like to try to find simple explanations and simple answers for the questions that people have. And I feel like Acts chapter 10 gives us a very good, concise overview of healing uh, and what the Bible has to say about it. So we're flipping to Acts chapter 10. I also want to tell you, you know, there's, there's different types of churches. You know, there's churches where the person preaching will say something and he says something good and you go like this. You go, write it down in your, in your notebook. There's churches where the person who's preaching will say something good and people, they, they hum, they go, mmm. Or they, they shout out, hallelujah, or ooh, amen, that's good. So I just want you to know that even though, you know, a lot of us are the kind of like, okay, I read that down in my journal, you can also verbalize if you like what I'm talking about. So if I say something and I'm like, ooh, God is good, you can say amen. If I say like, God heals, you can say hallelujah. And if I say something you don't like, you can keep that one to yourself. I don't need to know about that. But anything good, feel free, uh, feel free to let me know. So we're in Acts chapter 10, verse 38. It says this, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. There's a couple of things that we see in this verse. Number one, we see that healing is good. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing. So is healing good or is healing bad? There we go. Healing's good. So number one, healing is good. Number two, sickness is from the devil. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the... So sickness comes from who? Comes from the devil. It does not come from God. And number three, Jesus healed all. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. So right there, we see three foundational truths about healing. Number one, healing is good. Number two, sickness does not come from God. It comes from the devil. And number three, Jesus healed all. So that right there, we could just, I mean, probably stop right there uh, for, for a lot of people in the church with those simple truths. But I, I, wanna, I wanna show you something here because it tells us that Jesus did these things, but then it tells us how he was able to do these things. It says right at the beginning how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth. And right there, we're going to point out, it doesn't say how he anointed Jesus, the Son of God. It identifies his humanity, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth. It's emphasizing his humanity and that the fact that he was anointed. Every one of us is human, I assume. God has anointed Jesus, who was a human, with the Holy Spirit. He was also God, but he was human with the Holy Spirit and with power, which gave him the ability to do all these things. Who here has been anointed with the Holy Spirit and with power? Okay, so I don't see every hand in the air. You know, I, I like the, uh, the enthusiasm. I like the participation. Who here has been anointed with the Holy Spirit and with power? I won't make all of you raise your hands, but <laughs> the, the enthusiasm is good. Every one of us has been anointed with the Holy Spirit 
and with power. The Bible says, I wrote down a couple verses. This is Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Jesus says, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. So right there, God promises that when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you receive power. Luke chapter 24, uh, around verse 38 or 39, or maybe 49, if you're throwing it up on the screens, it says that when the promise of the Father, the Holy Spirit comes, that we will be endowed by the Holy Spirit with power. Every one of us has been endowed by the Holy Spirit with power. Acts, uh, sorry, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, Paul's talking, and Paul says, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or request, according to the power that's where? That's in us. doesn't say that's in Jesus. It doesn't say that's oh, in the, in the church 2,000 years ago. It says it's in every single one of us. And so if you're sitting here, if you have made Jesus the Lord of your life, then the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. The power of God flows through your veins. And this promise we saw right here in Acts chapter 10, verse 38, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. Every one of us has been endowed with that same Holy Spirit and that same power. Every one of us has been anointed with that same Holy Spirit and that same power. And the Bible says that because God was with Jesus, he was able to do these things. Is God with you tonight? Is God with you tonight? Then there's no reason why these things shouldn't be true for every single one of us, amen? We know from this verse alone that healing is good, that sickness comes from the devil, that Jesus heals all, and that if we have been anointed with the same Holy Spirit and the same power, and if the same God that was with Jesus is with us as well, we should be walking in these same works. Amen? In fact, Jesus said the same thing in John chapter 14, verse 12. He said that the same works that he did, we would do also. And even greater works than these would we do because he went to the Father. I don't know about you, but that gets me excited. I get, in, I get enthused when I hear that. I think that every one of us should wake up in the morning and jump out of bed and just look at our hands and be like, the power of God flows through these hands. The power of God flows through my body. Maybe I'm the only one that's excited about stuff like this. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. So with that, that's just my little introduction. Now we can get into the actual service, uh, sermon tonight. We're going to start in Mark, uh, sorry, Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4. Tonight I want to talk about overcoming by the word. Overcoming by the word. And we're starting in Matthew chapter 4. Okay, starting in verse 1. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterward he was hungry. Makes sense. Now when the tempter came to him, and notice, he calls the devil the tempter. So he's going to come, and that's one of the main strategies of the devil. He comes and he brings temptation to us. Now when the tempter came to him, he said, if you are the son of God, command that these stones become bread. So notice what the devil does. He shows up and the very first thing he does is he questions what God has said about Jesus. He questions his identity. It makes me think of Genesis chapter three. 
God creates the world in six days. He creates the Garden of Eden. He creates Adam and Eve. He puts them in the garden. Things are good. And then the serpent shows up. And the serpent slithers up to, to Eve. And he says, has God indeed said this? Is this really what God said? He does the same exact thing. He questions what God said. And then Eve responds and Eve says, well, he said, if we even touch the tree, then we'll die. That's not what God said. He said, don't eat the tree. And I don't know if, if she just figured, oh, well, if you can't eat it, you probably can't touch it either. Or if Adam was like, you know, like, <laughs> if she doesn't touch it, then she definitely won't eat it. So I'm going to tell her not to touch it. Like, I don't know where the miscommunication was, but Eve doesn't even know what God said. So you have the devil showing up and questioning what God has said. You have Eve not even knowing what God has said. And as a result, Adam and Eve both rejected what God said. And they strayed away from what he said. And they fell into sin. And so he tries the same thing. The devil tries the same thing with Jesus. He shows up and he says, if you really are the son of God, if that's true, command these stones to be turned to bread. And what does Jesus do? Jesus responds by quoting God's word. He says, it is written, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Then the devil, verse five, took him up into the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down for it is written, he shall give his angels charge over you and in their hands they shall bear you up lest you dash your foot against the stone. So Satan can misquote scripture. He can pull them out of context and try to lead you astray. What does Jesus do? Again, it is written. He responds with God's word. It is written again, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Verse eight, again, the devil took him up onto an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give you if you fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, away with you, Satan. So my, my son's learning how to read. And uh, so we'll be reading a book. And if there's an exclamation point, he'll read it. And he'll just be reading the words. And he goes, away with you, Satan. And I go, oh, Jack, there's an exclamation point. And he goes, away with you, Satan. And he yells whatever the sentence is because he has to exclaim it. And so I read this. And that's what I think. You know, that Jesus just had enough. He's like, away with you, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. The devil came to Jesus and tried to tempt him away from God's word, and Jesus responds every time with scripture. He combated the devil's temptations by reciting what God had said. You can't resist temptation if you don't know what is written. You cannot resist temptation if you do not know what is written. Now, I think a lot of times we think of temptation as like trying to tempt you into sinning. But sin is no different than sickness or poverty or sorrow or destruction or anything else the devil tries to bring our way. All those things came from the same sin of Adam and Eve in the garden. When spiritual death came upon mankind, sin, sickness, uh, disease, 
uh, poverty, destruction, all these things came upon mankind. They came in the same way. They were all defeated the same way through Jesus' death and resurrection. And all of them are overcome the same way by faith in God's word. And so when we're talking about temptation here, don't just be thinking like, oh, the tempter is going to try to, to get me to curse at that guy that cut me off or going to try to get me to, to cheat on my taxes or whatever thing. The devil will try to tempt you by telling you that, oh, that scripture doesn't apply today. You think God's going to heal you? No, no, no. He stopped doing that 2,000 years ago. Wait, you think God wants you to be blessed financially? Oh, that's greedy. You, you can't believe it. I, I know what the Bible says, but like that was a long time ago. This is today. The devil will try to uh, deceive us and pull us away from God's word in all those areas. So do we know what is written? Do we know how to overcome those temptations? When those things come our way, do we know how to combat those with Scripture? Why don't we go to uh, why don't we go to Second Timothy chapter three? While you're flipping, I mean, a lot of these times, these temptations can come from well-meaning people. I remember maybe seven or eight years ago, I, I posted something on Facebook, and it, I, it was Acts chapter 10, verse 38, actually. I posted that scripture, and I said, from this scripture, we know that healing comes from God, not, or that, that what, what, what are my three points? <laughs> that uh, uh, healing is good, sickness comes from the devil, and he, Jesus healed everyone. So I just go, like, these are three things that we know from Acts chapter 10, verse 38. And one of my teachers from high school, who's like a really nice guy, he's really involved at his church, he emailed me and he goes, hey, well, like, you know that that doesn't apply to today. I go, oh, well, well why, why would you say that? He goes, oh, well, like, why don't you listen to these sermons that, that my, pa- my pastor's been teaching on healing and how, how God doesn't heal. So why don't, you, why don't you listen to these sermons? And they'll, you know, teach you how everything you believe is wrong. And I don't think this guy was trying to be like a bad guy or like, oh, you're... He genuinely thought he was doing the right thing. But it was temptation. He was trying to tempt me away from God's word, ultimately. Now, I ended up going and listening to the entire sermon series he sent me, and there was not a single scripture that was used in the entire thing. But a lot of people may not know that. A lot of people may not know what the Bible says on these things, and so they can be deceived away because they don't know what is written. And so it's important to us, whether people are trying to be well-meaning or not, we need to know what God's word says so that we can resist the temptation to lead us astray. Amen? Okay. Uh, we're in 1 Timothy chapter 3. Again, I, I'm going to say a, little, a couple more things real quick. So talking about what is written, obviously we need to give God's word first place in our life. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 says that God's word is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. Ephesians 6, which talks about the armor of God, says that we are to arm ourselves with the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And so the Bible describes on multiple occasions God's word as being like a weapon that we can use to fight these temptations. Now, I I keep talking about my awesome five-year-old son. So my son, Jack, he just started uh, baseball season. And so we went to the first practice, and all the kids are lining up, and it's coach pitch this year. So last year was t-ball. This year's coach pitch, so the coach kind of sits a couple feet away and throws you the ball, and then you hit it. I don't know if that was a thing. That wasn't a thing when I was a kid, but it's a thing now. 
And uh, very quickly at the first practice, it became apparent that my son was one of the few sons who had spent no time practicing baseball during off-season. So, you know, this one kid rolls up, and it's like a perfect illustration. His name is Christian, and he pulls up, and he has his gloves on, and he's, you know, in his stance and everything, and the coach throws the first ball, and he's, like, swinging for the fences and just all the way to the outfield. And you could tell this kid, like, his dad probably, I don't know, like, played in high school or college and knew all the stuff, and he's been training his son from a very, very young age to now how to play baseball. So he's, like, hitting all the way to the outfield. And then my kid goes up, and he's, like, holding the bat backwards, standing on the wrong Like, no idea what to do. And I'm standing there, like, leaning over to the dads, and I'm like, well, he's really good at his times tables, you know? So, like, we, we've been practicing something, just not this. And, and when I was thinking about this, and I was thinking about God's word being a weapon to fight off the devil, I was thinking about that. I think a lot of us can fall into that category like my son. You know, we have our baseball bat that's been sitting in the garage for the entire offseason, and now we're expected to be able to, to hit the ball, and we have no idea how to even handle it. And a lot of times I think that we have this idea that, you know, oh, well, like, I, I've read some of the Bible before, and, like, I go to church every couple of weeks, and so, so I'll be good. And then when it's time to step up to the plate with that sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and the devil starts throwing those balls at you, you're completely unprepared. But if we practice, if we are diligent, and we're going to read about being diligent in God's word, if we're diligent with God's word, if we're practicing with the sword of the spirit, if we're not leaving it in its sheath for the entire off season, we'll be ready when the tempter comes with the temptations. So now we can go finally to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 14. So Paul is writing to a young man named Timothy who is in ministry. And Paul writes to him and says, But you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them. Who did he learn these things from? Now, you, you might be sitting there and you might be thinking, Paul. And he, he learned some of those things from Paul. But in other places, Paul writes to him and talks about how his mother and his grandmother diligently taught him the word of God from a very young age. So when Paul is writing and says, knowing from whom you have learned these things, he's not just giving himself a little pat on the back. He's talking about this legacy in his family of being taught from a young age what God's word says. Verse 15, and that from childhood you have known the holy scriptures. He didn't just learn them when he met Paul. He learned them in his childhood which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Now, we're not going to talk about it much tonight, but I think a, a couple times I've taught, we've talked about salvation, and Pastor Mike talks about this all the time, that salvation isn't simply you get to go to heaven when you die, that the way that salvation is talked about both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament and even outside of the Bible for most of ancient history, salvation is an all-inclusive deliverance. Yes, it includes going to heaven someday, but it also includes being delivered from sin. And that doesn't just mean from the consequences of sin. That means being delivered from having to sin. So when you have received salvation, you are no longer a slave to sin. 
Salvation also talks uh, about healing, like we're talking about tonight. Salvation includes healing. Salvation includes financial provision. Salvation includes freedom and safety from destruction and deliverance from sorrow into rejoicing. Salvation is all-inclusive deliverance. And so when he's talking here and he says, you are able to make, uh, it's able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus, he's saying the things that you have learned from a young age equip you to receive salvation by faith in every area of life. Verse 16, all scripture, everyone say all scripture. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. All scripture. What scriptures are, are he, or what scripture is he talking about? He's talking, he's talking about all. Does that include Lamentations? Does that include First and Second Chronicles? In fact, when Paul's writing this, there is no New Testament. There's just the Testament, which was Genesis through Malachi. And so even though this includes the New Testament, Paul is specifically talking about the 39 books of the Old Testament. Jeremiah is profitable for instruction and righteousness. Ezra and Nehemiah are profitable that the man of God may be complete and thoroughly equipped for every good work. No, no love for Ezra and Nehemiah? <laughs> I, I read them recently. They're pretty good. Chapter 4, verse 1, continuing, I charge you therefore... Therefore, a lot of times, like, it's easy to pick up the Bible and we'd go like, oh, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, and we see the word therefore and we just keep reading. But the word therefore should be a trigger to us knowing that this is in context of what was just talked about. So talking about all scripture being given by inspiration of God, he says, I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearance and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and teaching. Be ready in season and out of season. Tonight, we're all at healing school. You should come to healing school when you don't need healing. Hopefully, every one of you tonight doesn't need healing and you're here because you want to be ready in season and out of season. It's like, like tithing. You know, if you've gotten to the point where you have no money and then you're saying, well, I can't start tithing now because I have no money. Well, you should have started tithing a couple years ago when you had the money. A lot of people, they'll get sick and they'll be really sick and as their last resort, you know, the doctor's given them a couple weeks to live and they think, my last resort, I'm going to finally look into this whole healing thing. That's not the time to find out about healing. You should be learning about healing like Timothy did from a young age throughout childhood growing up so that when the time comes when you need to be healed, you're ready in season. That doesn't mean that you won't receive healing if you come out of season, but it's a lot easier and a lot better and a lot more comfortable for you if you're ready for these things before you need to know them. 
He says, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season. Jesus knew God's word. God's word was important to him. It was something that he gave priority to in his life. He gave priority to all of God's word. In fact, when we were reading in Matthew chapter 4, when he's being tempted by the devil, he quotes three scriptures. Does anyone know where those three scriptures are in the Bible? Any ideas? Yeah, you can, if you know, you can say it. They are not from Psalms. They are from Deuteronomy. In fact, they are from Deuteronomy chapter 6 and Deuteronomy chapter 8. And I think, there's, I think that's interesting for a number of reasons. Number one, Pastor Mike has been teaching on finances and prosperity. And one of the, the main verses he's been talking about has been Deuteronomy chapter 8. And in those same verses that are talking about prosperity and talking about God's provision we also find verses that Jesus used to combat the devil. Something else I think is really interesting is how close all those scriptures are. Like he didn't pull one out of Deuteronomy and then one out of Psalms and then one out of Lamentations. They were all within a couple chapters of each other. Now, I don't know if this is the case, but a part of me wonders if like that morning, Jesus had been studying Deuteronomy and then the devil showed up and he's like, well, this is what I've been reading. So this is what I'm gonna use to defeat you. Jesus was ready when he didn't need to be ready. Jesus was ready. He gave priority to God's word. He loved God's word. He put a focus on God's word. He knew and understood God's word. And as a result, he was able to do all the things that God needed him to do in his ministry. And if we want to walk in the same miraculous life that Jesus walked in, if we want the the Acts 10, 38 experience, if we want to heal and to defeat the oppression of the devil and to heal everyone that comes our way, if we want to see the sick raised, if we want to see the dead raised, if we want to help those people that are in need, if we want to do the greater works that Jesus talked about, we need to give priority to God's word. We need to give priority to God's word every single day. We need to give priority to God's word in everything that we do. And so I just wrote down a couple things couple little bullet points of things that we should do every day. And I think a, a lot of these will probably overlap with, uh, with things that Pastor Mike has talked about, but you know, the things of God aren't complicated. If we want to walk in the same miraculous life that Jesus walked in, we need to read the Bible daily. We need to read the Bible daily. Now, how many of you own one of these supercomputers that fits into your pocket? I'm guessing that most of you do. You want to know something really cool about these things? There are probably 1,000 apps that you can download, and then you have the Bible on your phone. And what's really cool is not only, like, you know, back in the olden days, like, you had to, like, carry one of these around. This fits in your pocket. You have the entire Bible, every single translation imaginable, every single language. fits into your pocket. 
And what's really cool about this is you could even like set alarms in it that can remind you to read the Bible. So th there's really no reason that we shouldn't be reading the Bible every single day. If, if you're, you know, last year, my wife and I decided we were going to read the Bible together. And we just did a year-long Bible reading plan. And every day was about three chapters. When I was at work, I would go on a, a walk on my lunch break. It would take about 15 minutes. I'd get my, my, my three chapters read every day. And at the end of the year, we had both read the entire Bible. Now, if you've never read the entire Bible, I, I think you should read the entire Bible. But, like, that's not the only way to read the Bible. This year, my wife and I are both doing more topical studies, so we're not reading the entire thing all the way through. We're looking at different topics. But at some point, we should all read the entire Bible. Ezra and Nehemiah are more exciting than people have made them out to be. Just give them a chance. They're, oh, and, and Leviticus. Who here loves Leviticus? Am I the only Leviticus lover? Leviticus has some good stuff in it. You should check it out. I, you know, like, yes, there can be some dry parts, but all scripture is inspired by God. All scripture, Leviticus, inspired by God. There's a lot of things that God could have put in the Bible on those pages, and he chose to put Leviticus, so there must be a reason, right? Right? There's like four people that are like, yes. The four people that have read Leviticus are like, yes, I agree. Read the Bible daily. Read all of the Bible. Another thing you can do, speak the Bible daily. Let's go to Joshua chapter 1, a scripture that if you've been around here for any length of time, I'm sure that you're very familiar with. Joshua chapter 1. Joshua chapter 1, verse 8. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Let's look at that beginning part. This book of the law. What book of the law is he talking about? He's, he's, yes, he's talking about the word of God, but at this point, the word of God consisted of five books. He's talking about Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Now, this promise applies to the rest of the scriptures as well. It applies to the entire Old Testament and the entire New Testament, but very specifically, it also applies to Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. That means that if you read Numbers, you will find great success. If you read Exodus and you do according to all that is written in it, you will make your way prosperous. So what's he say? He says, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. How do you keep it from not departing from your mouth? By continually saying what it says. So you're constantly speaking God's word, but you shall meditate in it day and night. Now, Pastor Mike's talked about this a lot, that meditating isn't, you know, sitting on a rock humming with your hands like this and doing yoga or whatever people do to meditate nowadays. It's muttering God's word. It's constantly thinking on God's word. It's giving God's word first place in your life. And so every single day, you should be thinking about God's word. You should be saying God's word to yourself. There's a, I think it's Isaiah 59, someone fact check me if I'm wrong, or 59 or 54, where it talks about God's thoughts are not our thoughts. Is that 54, 59? 54, Isaiah 54, I'm gonna flip there. You can come there too if you'd like to. Isaiah 54. Uh, Isaiah 55, actually. It's Isaiah 55, this is verse eight. For your thoughts are not 
Uh, for my thoughts, this is God talking. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. And I think a lot of people can read that and they can go, oh, that means God's ways are so much higher and we could never understand what God's trying to say. That's not the point God's making. God is talking to his people who have fallen into sin and he's saying, hey guys, your thoughts have stopped being my thoughts. Your ways are no longer my ways. So get your thoughts back to my thoughts and get your ways back to my ways. This isn't God bragging and saying he's smarter than us. It's God saying you need to start thinking in line with God's word once again if you want life to get better. And that's the same thing that Joshua is talking about when he tells us to meditate on God's word. We need to be meditating on God's thoughts, meditating on God's ways, meditating on God's words because his words and his thoughts and his ways are so much better than our thoughts and our ways and our ideas. But if we start thinking in line with God's words, we'll start living the life that God wants us to live and we'll start getting the results that God wants us to get and we'll start doing the things that God wants us to do. Amen? Your thoughts are not my thoughts. Your ways are not my ways. Therefore, get your thoughts and your ways back in line with God's word. We need to read God's word daily. We need to speak God's word daily. We need to do what the Bible says daily. Let's go to James chapter 1. Do what the Bible says daily. I don't know if this has ever happened to anyone else, but have you ever been reading the Bible and the Bible will say, like, don't do this? And you're like, oh, no, I do that all the time. Am I, am I the only one that gets hit between the eyes every now and then? And a lot of times there's that temptation because the tempter comes. There's that temptation to just go, if I keep reading, I'll probably forget about this. Am I the only person that's ever had that happen? You read in the Bible, and the Bible says, don't do this. And you're like, oh, I know I need to stop doing that, but I can keep reading, and tomorrow I'll be completely oblivious, and then I won't be responsible about this until I read this again in a year. So I have a whole year to keep doing things the way I want to do them. No. When the Bible tells us what we need to do, and if we specifically, if we know it's something that we're not doing or we're doing things the wrong way, we need to change what we do. In fact, that's what the Bible, when the Bible talks about repentance, you know, Jesus preached, the very first thing he, repeat, uh, he preached was repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The word repent just means to change the way you think. So when you read something in the Bible and you do the opposite of what it says, to repent is just to change. You go, okay, I'm going to get back on track. In fact, there's a word uh, that the church used to use a lot, and they stopped using it. Uh, probably because like it made it hurt people's feelings. It's the word heresy. So back in the old days, if someone was teaching something that the Bible didn't say, uh, they'd call it heresy, which was like that's a bad thing. And now we just kind of ignore it and let it slip by. But back then we call it heresy. And the word heresy just means choice. And so when we declared something heresy historically in the church, what we were saying is that person is choosing to do something different than what God says. That person is choosing their own theology rather than listening to God's theology. And so we, when we read something in the word, we need to do what it says. We can't just keep doing things our way, not if we want to get God's results. So James chapter 1, verse 21. Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. 
When you hear what God's word says, but you don't do it, the Bible says that you've been deceived and you've been deceived by yourself. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. Wow. When you read what the Bible says and you choose not to do it, God says, you might as well not have even read it. You're going you're gonna to forget if you don't put it into action. Verse 25, but he who looks into the perfect law of liberty, I, I love this, the perfect law of liberty. So many people think that God's laws are bondage, that God said you can't do this. Oh, man, I can't do that thing that God told me not to do. Oh, law, it's, the, the law is bondage. James calls it liberty. It is freedom to do what God said to do. Don't let any preacher or person tell you that living the way the Bible tells you to live is bondage. It's freedom, and when you walk away from God's perfect law of liberty, that's when you fall into bondage. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, don't just do it once, keep doing it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. You want the blessing of the Lord in your life? Do what God said to do. Make a pattern of it. Do it continually. Verse 26, if anyone among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans, and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. So James is talking about being a doer of the word and then he gives us an example. He says, if you want to be a doer of the word, be there for widows and orphans. You know, there are single moms in this church that can probably use help God says that pure and undefiled religion is being there for them in their time of need and keeping themselves unspotted from the world. Things we should do. We should read the word daily. We should speak the word daily. We should do what the Bible says daily. And number four, we should teach the Bible daily. Let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6. How many of you know that it's not Pastor Mike's job to make sure your kids know what the Bible says? How many of you know that it's not Chip's job to make sure that your kids know what the Bible says? And it's not Lauren's job on the kids' ministry to make sure that your kids know what the Bible says? It's our job. It's the parents' job. It's not, like, it's not, my, it's not Pastor Mike's job or Chip's job. It's my job. No, it's the parents' job. It's the family's job to teach their kids what the Bible says. Deuteronomy chapter 6, we're going to read verses 6 through 9. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by your way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house 
and on your gates. God says that our entire lives are supposed to be consumed with teaching and spreading God's word. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house. As families, we should be talking about God's word when we sit down at the dinner table, when we're driving in the car. He tells us when you lie down at night, we should be speaking God's word. We speak it to our kids. We can speak it to our spouses. We can speak it to ourselves. But we should be constantly speaking God's word. When you rise up in the morning, now I know it's easy, this thing here that, that gives us the Bible at the click of a finger, it also gives us Twitter at the click of a finger. It's easy to wake up. And the first thing you do is you open this and you go, what, what should I be outraged about today? Joe Biden said that? Donald Trump did this? We get all... It doesn't say when you rise up in the morning you should be outraged at what's going on politically in the world. It says when you rise up in the morning you should be speaking God's word to your family. You can get outraged about what all the politicians are doing after breakfast, but before breakfast when you wake up, that's God's time. It's a good reminder for me too. <laughs> you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. Now, the Jews, they would actually, like, they would literally do this. They had a box that they would, like, put on their forehead, and there would be scriptures inside of them. And I think it's easy for us to look at that and go, like, ooh, how weird, how religious. But, like, I think they were trying. I'm not saying they got it right, but a guy 2,000 years ago that put a box of scripture on his forehead... I think that he gets more credit than a, than a Christian nowadays that hasn't read the Bible in three weeks. We should be doing these things every day because they're important to God, because he told us we should. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Everywhere you look, God's promises, God's commandments, you know, I think it's easy. We focus on God's promises. Like, ooh, God promised me this, 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 and this. Like, he also told you you should be doing that, 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 and that. Are we just looking for the blessings and not looking to do the work he's called us to do? We need to read the Bible daily. We need to speak the Bible daily. We need to do what the Bible says every day. And we need to be teaching the Bible every day. We teach it to our families we could teach it in church. There are so many volunteer opportunities for every person here. If you're not involved in kids ministry or in youth ministry or in television ministry or men's and women's ministry, there are plenty of places that you can get involved. And let me tell you this. In my experience, the greatest way that you can learn what God's word says is to put yourself in a position where you have to explain it to someone else. When you are studying God's word and figuring out how to communicate it to other people, you're going to find tremendous growth in the areas that you're studying. And so I think it's that simple. Read the Bible daily, speak the Bible daily, do what the Bible says every day, and teach the Bible. Why don't we finish in Psalm 119. Psalm 119. 
Psalm 119 is the longest chapter in the Bible by a long shot. It's 176 verses. And it's a a song that David wrote. And the entire thing is about God's word. And I just imagine that David was sitting around and he's like, I'm going to sing a song about how much I love God's word. And he started singing and he couldn't stop. It was like his stairway to heaven. It just kept going. He loved it so much that he just kept singing and proclaiming how desperate he was for God's word. And the Bible calls him a man after God's own heart. If we want to be men and women after God's own heart, we could probably learn in this area, becoming desperate, madly in love with God's word. Psalm 119, verse 97. Oh, how I love your law. He loved when God told him what to do. It was liberating for him. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. You, through your commandments, make me wiser than my enemies, for they are ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. And I understand more than the ancients, because I keep your precepts. I have restrained my feet from every evil way, that I may keep your word. I have not departed from your judgments, for you yourself have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. I want to love God's word like that. I want to be that desperate for God's commandments and God's promises and God's blessings and God's law. You know, in other parts of the Bible, it talks about looking to God's word as being better than silver and gold. Do I love God's word more than silver and gold, better than my next paycheck? Is that how important reading God's words to me are? Is God's word sweeter than honey to me? Now, I don't often eat honey. I imagine it's very sweet. But when I read this today, I thought about one of those like Coca-Cola commercials where you have like the guy in a desert and then he cracks open a Diet Coke and then everything gets like bright colors and he drinks it and then he looks at the camera and winks and goes, ah. You guys have seen that commercial, right? Is that how I look at God's word? Is that how sweet it is to me? When I open God's word and read the words that he wrote, knowing that I'd be reading them 2,000 years later, am I that refreshed? Do I feel the way that those people feel in those commercials? Or have I allowed it to become a drag? Have I allowed it to become a chore or a means to, to some other thing? Jesus loved God's word. He knew it better than anyone He was quoting it all the time. And Jesus overcame every temptation. In Hebrews chapter 4, it tells us that he was tempted in the exact same ways that every single one of us has been tempted. That means he was tempted to sin. He was tempted to steal. He was tempted to cheat. He was tempted to get angry or to get jealous. He was tempted to believe that God's word didn't apply to him. He was tempted to believe that, that maybe, maybe we're all supposed to be really poor. 
Maybe we're all supposed to be really sick and that God can teach us lessons through those things. Jesus was tempted in the exact same ways that every single one of us has been tempted. And yet he never gave in because he had a sure foundation. His feet were planted on the rock. His feet were planted on God's word and he would not waver. And if we learn God's word, if we plant our feet in it and say, this is the truth, this is God's word and I refuse to listen to anything else, if we love God's word, if we're desperate for it, if we love it more than silver and gold and honey and soda and whatever delicious thing can come our way, if we look at God's word that way, then we too will be unshaken in the same way that Jesus was. We will walk the same life that he lived, free of sickness, free of poverty, full of the joy of the Lord and full of the miracles of God. We will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. We will do the same works that Jesus did and even greater works. And it all comes down to the priority that we put on God's word. Amen? Who here is going to be a doer of the word this week? Amen. Well, thanks for being here. Let's pray. God, you are so incredible. We love you so much. It's such a privilege to be called sons and daughters of the Most High God. Lord, we thank you that you just didn't leave us down here with nothing, but you gave us your word, your instructions, and your promises and blessings so that we would know exactly who you are, exactly who you have created us to be, and that we would know exactly what you want us to do. So I thank you that your word is true, your promises are true, and you are faithful to perform your word for every single one of us. If there are people in this room that need deliverance from sickness, I thank you that your word provides the answers for us and that we can receive your promises and be healed from any affliction that comes our way. I thank you if there are people in here that are struggling to pay their bills, they don't know where their next paycheck's gonna come from, I thank you that you promised that you would never leave us nor forsake us, that you promised that you would open up the windows of heaven and pour out blessings upon us that there's not room enough to receive it. And when we put your word into action, that we will see the results coming back to us, 30-fold, 60-fold, even 100-fold. I thank you if there are people in this room that are struggling to overcome sin, that your word gives us the answer to that, that you have freed us from the bondage and slavery to sin, that we can go and sin no more, just as Jesus told the woman in John chapter eight, that there's no reason for us to sin. We have been set free. We are slaves of righteousness and we can walk and fulfill your ways in our lives every single day. Whatever need we have, whatever shortcoming we think there is, whatever problem we face, your word gives us the answer. And we thank you that you will lead us and guide us by the Holy Spirit in your word, that we will find the answers we need, that you will increase our faith so that we can put those promises to action and that we will see your faithfulness every single time. God, you are so incredible. You are so good. God, you are so good.